friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. Earlier this week, we kicked off a fun month here at the podcast where we are going to talk about the Enneagram. We are calling it Ennea Summer 2019. And so every show that releases on Mondays and Thursdays from now to the end of the month will be about the Enneagram. Each number is going to have their own show. And so today we are starting with the ones. Here's how it's going to go. Since it's our first one, I'll give you a little background. For starters, the music you are hearing is from our friend Ryan O'Neill, Sleeping at Last, and he has written a song for each Enneagram number. So currently you are listening to the music from the Enneagram One song. Make sure you check out Ryan's stuff. He's really good. Purchase it all, download it all. I mean, he's just incredibly good. So this is the Enneagram One song you're listening to. The lyrics are really beautiful. You should definitely look them up. Our goal this month is not for you to just hear the show that is the number you have self-identified with. My real hope and what I've seen happen as we've recorded these is that my love and appreciation for the uniqueness of the other numbers has increased drastically. My sympathy and empathy and heart for all the people who are not like me, the other eight types and many of the sevens, but the other eight types has just changed. And I'm just so thankful that God made us so uniquely. And so what's going to happen every show is we're going to hear Ryan O'Neill's music for that particular number. Beth McCord, who is your Enneagram coach on Instagram, as well as your Enneagram is going to give us just a little synopsis of each number at the start of each show so that you will get kind of an idea of what these people, what their strengths are, what their struggles are, and kind of what to listen for in this episode. And then what we've done for the conversation, it, it is a female of that number, a male of that number, who most of them do not know each other, but they're both friends of mine. You won't know them probably. They're not public people. They're just my real life friends who identify as these numbers. And so today on the show, we have Jamie and Lee. And you may remember Jamie. She's been on the show a couple of times when we talk about the Hallmark Christmas movies, but Lee has never been on the show before, but they'll tell you all about themselves in just a minute. So here we will jump right in. Here is Beth McCord giving us a little history on Enneagram Ones. All right, friends, as I told you, as we start this series, every episode, the ones through the nines, we're going to have our one of our very favorite Enneagram experts, Beth McCord, on with us. She is your Enneagram coach. And in 2019, she has a lot of resources that are new that are releasing, but she also has a ton you can already do. Deep dives into your number, basic education around Enneagram, but the book that's coming out on October 1st is called Becoming Us. And then there will also be an Enneagram book for each type individually, and there are courses for couples based on your Enneagram type number that will be releasing this summer. Yes. So you can find everything at yourenneagramcoach.com, and also make sure, I'm sure you already are following her, but make sure you follow your Enneagram coach on Instagram. So Beth, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's start where we are today with the ones. Yeah. Every show I'd love for you to, I'm going to ask you a couple of the same questions for every show. So for the ones, can you just do like a, a flyover? Tell us about ones. Yeah. So when I really focus on 
letting people know about each of the types, we're looking at the core motivations because really it's like an onion. you got to pull it all the way back, not just what we do on the outside, but what's going on at the core because mm-hmm. that is what the Enneagram is all about. Right. And the Enneagram is going to pretty much tell you like it is, like a non-judgmental friend. And so what we're looking at is the core motivations, which is the core fear, desire, weakness, and longing. So I'll kind of go through all of those with each of the types so that okay. you can have a real good sense of why they do what they do. Perfect. So the type ones, their core fear is being bad evil, corruptible, or wrong. And so this is about ethics and morals, procedures, those kinds of things. They want to be balanced, good, ethical, moral, and right. And so what you're going to find is with their core weakness, it's um, resentment. Now, Mm. in other places, they'll call it anger, but uh, ones think that being angry is bad and wrong. So they'll repress it and it comes out as resentment. And where this comes from, and this is where you can really understand ones, is they have a loud inner critic. And think of it like a megaphone at their ear. And what that's like for them is, well, they'll walk around and we think that these are the type of people that are just going around pointing out stuff just for the fun of it. But really what it is, is their inner critic notices all the things that are wrong or out of place or mistakes, and they assault the person with all of those things. And so think of it like a bat just beating at your head. Mm -hmm. And so the ones are, they see all of these things are being assaulted and they think everyone else is seeing the same things. And so if I'm a one and you're a seven and we're walking around and there's stuff everywhere, you're like, eh, let's just, you know, go have fun. And they're like, why can't you see this? Like, Mm. are you just leaving this up to me to deal with? And so that's where the resentment comes in because it, to them, it looks like you're, just bypassing it Mm -hmm. and just giving it to them. And so resentment builds. What we want to understand for them is that this inner critic is literally berating them all the time. And it's really intense. I have a one wing at times. I mainly lean on my eight wing. But when that one wing comes in, oh, it's brutal. It's harsh. It's it's unsustainable for me to be under that weight. So I have a deep compassion for the ones that really go through life with just this gnawing sense, this constant berating from this inner critic. Now, what they long to hear, so their core longing, is that you are good. That's mm-hmm. what they're really wanting to know. So they're going to do things right or perfect or try because they're longing to hear from someone else, you're good. And that's where Christ comes in and he satisfies that. Mm-hmm. So in my teachings, that's the whole point is, well, we can't satisfy our own longing. Others can't satisfy our longings, our kids, our careers, et cetera. But Christ does. And so what Christ does is for the ones is he looks at them and says, you are good, not because mm-hmm. of what you've done, but because what he did for them. Mm-hmm. And he also gives them that rest from the inner critic and gives them peace. So the inner critic is not the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times ones will like, their eyes will brighten up like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Like That's not the Holy Spirit. I'm like, no, the Holy Spirit has peace, kindness, goodness, mercy, mm-hmm. grace. Is that what your inner critic is doing? No. Right. right. Now, that's where then we lean on the Holy Spirit to not condemn ourselves with the inner critic, but to bring in that grace, to bring in that love, to bring in that peace and patience. And that's what the Holy Spirit would do when we surrender and depend on Him. Okay. That's great. Okay, so what is the gift that ones offer the rest of us? Oh, man. Ones give so many gifts. One, they really do see precision and accuracy. So if yeah. you need things to get done that are precise and like in micro like detail, man, they are the ones to come in and do yeah. that. So they're going to really be able to highlight those things. But they also just bring this sense of ethics, morals, what's right, what's good before us. Because a lot mm. of times, a lot of us are just like, eh, 
whatever, but it really does matter. You know, when it comes to the end of the day, we want to know that things are done right and done well. And even if we don't want to be the ones that do it, but they bring that to us. And so we really want to honor what they see and how they see it. And a lot of times we will kind of hear what they have to say as, let's say, criticism or nitpicky. And really to them, they're just trying to give advice. They're trying to help. Mm -hmm. And so we have to kind of put that aside and how we interpret things. I call it a suicide. Don't assume incorrectly onto the one. Mm -hmm. Ask clarifying questions like, hey, I was just curious, like when you said that, was that to be helpful or was that because it kind of felt like maybe a put down, but I just want to make sure I'm hearing you right. And that will really mean a lot to the ones because really their heart most of the time is to help. Mm -hmm. What are we going to hear in this conversation with ones? What should we listen for? Uh, So listen for, you might hear times of pause or um, being uncertain if they're doing it right. Mm -hmm. And you're going to probably hear um, a little bit more of uh, precision in their talk maybe a little stiffness. I don't know. I haven't even heard it. So yeah, yeah. we're going on the fly here. You've heard it and you're probably like, oh my gosh. I haven't done all of them though. So that's the fun part is I'll be interested to hear. Yeah. So they're going to want to know, am I doing this right? Yes. So they probably asked whoever, you know, behind the scenes, like, okay, what are the questions? They were, Beth, they were the first yes. ones who wanted the questions. They want to look at them, study them. And then what's really hard is then if you like throw a curveball and like- And we didn't give them to them. We didn't give them the questions ahead of time. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, isn't that awful? That is awful. <laughs> so mean. It's a seven thing. Like we're just gonna fly by the seat of our pants. Totally. And the ones are like, "You're killing me." hundred percent. So, um, but yeah. So you might hear is just this: "Am I doing it right and good?" Now, whether they can hear it on it, but that's probably what's going on in the core. And then when they listen back, they're gonna be like, "Oh, I should have done this right, or that right, mm-hmm. or that was wrong." And so just having that deep compassion for the ones that it's just all right before them, even if they don't want it, it's assaulting them. So that's probably what you're going to hear. Okay. All right. Here is our conversation with our Enneagram Ones, Jamie and Lee. You guys, you're the first Enneagram podcast we're recording of the nine. Oh, wow. On purpose, because you're ones. And I feel like your responses to me will be honest and And so whatever adjustments we need to make in the future, we'll make in the future. Lee, tell the story of how Amazon and I both broke your heart yesterday. So obviously I wanted the questions from you. Uh I thought that was really important for me to prepare prepare well. (laughs) I think I asked a couple of times like, hey, can you send me questions? You texted me. Uh, Yeah. I failed you. And then I emailed and yeah, yeah, that failed. So, um, so, you know, I'd planned to kind of just, you know, spend the night preparing to make sure that I, you know, did the, the best job I could. Um, and then I'd ordered some, um, uh, a coffee machine from Amazon. So I was really like excited about that arriving and yeah. spending the night learning how to make it work and, you know, going through the, the manual like, like you're supposed to. Oh, wait. So is that when you get something in the mail like that, you read, I, I don't, Unless I really want to understand it. Okay. And I really wanted to make sure that I made like the best like espresso. So yeah, so they said it would be delivered by six. So I you know, got home from work and it wasn't there. And then it was seven and then it was eight and then it was nine. And I'm thinking, they're not coming. <laughs> they're really not coming. And I was so disappointed. So like... Um, with me and with Amazon. With you. And then, so <laughs> I went, all night. The, all the plans that you'd it. made were not... Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. just yeah, yeah. thrown away. Yeah. What were you hearing in your head about you? I'm right, and they should they should be here. Yeah, both of these people should have done what they said they would do. That's it, and they didn't. There yes. are rules, and if you say eight p.m., it's eight p.m. Right, and if it's questions, it's questions. Do you read? Yeah, you're like Annie. If it's yeah, do you read manuals, Jamie? 
Mm, not as much as I feel like I should for the stereotype of my number. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I probably do more than most people, but yeah. Okay. Cover to cover? Like, do you just like, okay. No, I'll go to the bit that I want to understand. Okay. You know. I mean, I do a ton of research about anything. Oh, I know. We know. You're a friend of the pod. People know you know your Hallmark oh, yeah. movies mm-hmm. and your Hallmark fan. So yes, I, I, uh, gathering information and knowing numbers. what I need to know is really important. Yeah. Uh, can we start? Will y'all both introduce yourselves? Uh, you both identify as ones to some degree. Uh, will you just introduce yourself? Tell me what you do for your job. And married, single, you can do your age if you want to. Uh, but just kind of tell us who you are. You go first, Lee. Okay, so um, I'm Lee. I'm from England. I moved to Nashville three years ago to work at Crosspoint. You're from England. Where in England? So I grew up in Birmingham, Mm -hmm. but I've lived all over, so my accent has changed over time. Ah, okay. Northern Ireland, Portsmouth, London, uh, Bolton near Manchester. Yeah. So, yeah, so moved here three years ago, um, started off as student pastor and then became a campus pastor. Um, have a little girl called Cole, uh, married to Kendall, um, and she's a one as well. So that, <gasps> what? Yeah, so that's fun. <laughs> wow, y'all are both ones. Yeah. I listened to a podcast of a married couple that was ones, and it was fascinating. Yeah, have you heard that one? It's one of Ian Cron's. No, no, uh, isn't it one of Ian's? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's brilliant. We'll send it to you. Okay, who are you, ma'am? Uh, my name's Jamie. I uh, am an artist manager here in town, mm-hmm. so I wrangle creatives for a job, and I am single. One of the questions we get asked a lot are people going, how do I figure out my Enneagram number? Tell me about your experience of the journey toward figuring out that you're most likely a one. Um, I think when I first started, everyone was talking about it and I was like, I'm not doing that. Like I've, I'm, when it comes to profiling and all those things, I'm usually the, the person who's like, oh, I don't want I wa- I to know a number or what I am. Yeah. I, just, I just want to be kind of me. But it kind of became a thing where every conversation was about Enneagram. It was like, <laughs> I'm this number, I'm that number. And then people then began to go, oh, you're definitely a number one. Question, when, had you heard about it prior to living in Nashville? No. Oh, interesting. Okay. No. It's very prevalent here. Yeah. And not in all But also parts. he's lived here for three years. And but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like I learned about it, I don't know, five, six years mm-hmm, ago, but mm-hmm. I just didn't know if in England, if it had come up prior to no. living here. I mean, it may, it may be everywhere now, in England yeah. right now, yeah, yeah. but, but no. when I was Like there, at Christmas, I was telling high school friends about it and no one had ever heard of it yeah. in the Northwest. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So it was that like people were talking about it and then people were saying, Hey, you're a number one. And I'm like, what's a number one? And they were like a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not a perfectionist. No, I'm not. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a number one. So I purely went out to find out if I was a number one and hopefully pray that I wasn't. And then then I got the results and I'm a number one. <laughs> as you learn more about it, as you've done some reading about being a one, does it ring true to you? Yeah, there are some parts that really ring true. Um, and then there are some parts that, that don't. Um, but like the more and more I'm looking at it, the more and more I'm like, I'm resigning to the fact that I am, I am a one. Uh-huh. So I think when everyone writes a book or they're putting the information out about maybe a number one or any numbers, I think what, the, what they're doing is they're putting like a broad stroke of paint. It's not like a fine painting. It's not like, um, individual to, right. to you, like specific to you. It's not like a portrait of who you are. They're saying, hey, this is what a one could look like. This is what a one could experience and could go through and could feel, but it may not be for you. So there are things like, for example, that when I read about a one, that's not, that's not me. 
like but there are things that 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 are so what i do is i actually pick out the the, the pieces that i know of me and i read about those uh-huh. but then i also then put those pieces that maybe i don't feel of me on the back burner and i say hey god if those are about me if those apply to me would you bring them to the forefront but i think it's worth knowing that when anyone writes they're writing with a but like a broad stroke yeah like so it's okay for things not to resonate with you yes every you know? single part of it yeah there's parts of being a seven that i'm like no i don't ever do that yeah somebody said it and i don't know who so i don't know who to give tre- credit to but they say for every number let's say it's a color so let's say ones are blues mm-hmm. you can be baby blue and you can be navy blue That's good. and you are still the same number yes but you those two colors are vastly different yes. in look. when you go to the paint store if you look at all the oranges there are a lot of different oranges mm-hmm. yeah so that would explain why me and my wife, you know, she could be baby blue and I could be like yeah. midnight blue. <laughs> yeah, Lee, everybody such a manly midnight. Such blue. a manly <laughs> color. Yeah. That's hilarious. I find it really hard as well that that whoever came up with the number system would put a number one for the perfectionist. <laughs> why? It's what like, do you wish? It's like, why didn't you just give us like a nine? Oh, like, okay. like because it's number one, it makes us feel like, or makes me feel like, I have to obtain the number one status. Oh, wow! So I have to be perfect in order to keep the number one. Like, just give us a nine, give us a seven. You know, <laughs> I'd be happy with a lower number than. Yeah, so you wouldn't. So the goal one. wouldn't be so high. The yeah. bar wouldn't be so high. Yeah. So but, fascinating. Yeah, I'm loving this already, Jamie. How did you come around the journey of becoming a one, or knowing you're a one? I think I became a one. Whatever day I was born in. Yes. 1984. Yeah. Um, I learned about the Enneagram from Dave Barnes, yes. friend of the podcast uh, that I work with. And he had done a Richard Rohr retreat. And mm-hmm. so he was re- learning a lot about it. And he thought that um, his wife is an eight. Yes. And he thought that uh, – he said, I think you might be what Annie is. And so I kind of started researching. And ones and eights do have a lot of similar parallels. One, Dave said to me, he's like, hey, make sure when you read through them, whichever one you kind of hate the most is probably the one that you are, mm. except for sevens. Yeah. Sevens read and are like, woo! Yeah. Um, but the thing I think that really distilled exactly that I was a one was the inner critic. I didn't know that everyone didn't have that happening in their head Can at you do, all. Yeah, because I that doesn't, obviously that's not in my head. Can y'all describe what that feels like to have an inner critic, like almost a committee all the time in your head? I think the best way I can describe it is like, you know, in like late elementary school, early middle school, you always travel in packs and there's just, it's it's mean girls. Mm-hmm. It is a group of, in, in, at least for me, I can only speak for how it, it's just like anything that someone would comment on when you were in middle school on someone else, someone, my, my inner critic is saying that to me at all times. Is that your experience too, Lee? Do you have a people in your head? Yeah, not so much like voices in my head. I think I'd end up in, you know, a hospital with yeah. that. But um, it's it's just a constant thing where I'm always evaluating myself and then second-guessing myself um, on the front end and the back end. So before you make the decision, before you make the commitment, you're going through, you know, research and thought and, and taking your time. And then on the back end, it's like, did I do that well? Did I do that good enough? Did I offend someone? Did I not? You know, all, all the things come come like as a barrage and you kind of have to just sift through them. I can be at a party and just casual conversation, like nothing that's like political or opinionated or anything. And I will leave that party and driving home and being like, I shouldn't have said that. That was dumb. That person was probably annoyed by me. That thing, like I can pick apart something that is, has nothing to be picked apart, but it's, it's, it's pretty much mostly about me. It's not, Mm. it's not me picking apart other people all the time. Right. 
Wow, you too, Lee. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like when you asked me to come on the podcast. I wanted you to tell this story. Um, so I walked into the room. I don't and, think you know this, Jamie. What happened so when I asked him to be on the podcast? I walked into the room and Annie was like, hey, we're going to do this, you know, this this podcast about Enneagrams and, you know, you're a number one, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm number one. She says, do you want to be on it? I was like, nope. Yeah, literally, nope. <laughs> nope. Like straight away was nope. And then driving back to, to the office, I was processing it all in my head. And I'm like, why, why did you say no? And, and the biggest fear was... I may mess it up. It may not be perfect. I don't fully understand Enneagram. I'm learning it. Annie's an expert. How can I be like involved in that conversation? And then literally when I got got to the office, it was like I just felt God say, well, you want to be open to challenges and you want to grow? Well, here's your opportunity. Mm. And then I got on the phone and spent, what, five, ten minutes apologizing yep. before saying, okay, I'll do it. Yes. <laughs> It was fascinating. As soon as he called, I was at lunch with Crosspoint people. They said, Lee's calling to apologize and say he'll be on the podcast. And I was like, no, he's not. And they're like, answer it. And sure <laughs> enough, he was like, yeah. I mean, he said no and walked away. Did you think about saying no? No, but I know you and I knew the podcast and I kind of knew enough to feel like I I didn't feel blind enough to not know what I was getting into. Sure. But if there is something that I don't know what I'm getting into or that I might not be good at, probably until about three years ago, I would have never tried it. Really? I mean, like, as dumb as like, not dumb, but as, as simple as like group fitness. Uh-huh. I would have never went to a group fitness class alone if I didn't already have someone who'd went and who could tell me what it was like and what was going to happen. Because if I got in there and looked, the, nothing is worse to me than when I feel stupid. Yeah, And I think that's fit- probably a general one thing. But that if you want to know how to like just ruin a one's life is to, and even unintentionally make them feel dumb. Yeah. Lee, finish that sentence. Nothing is worse to me than when I feel. Oh, that's a good one. I think when I don't understand. Mm. So when you feel like uneducated for, yeah. yeah. So asking you to be on an Enneagram podcast when you feel like you haven't read the whole manual. Yeah. I'm doing you that You could feel you. foolish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm really sorry. So like when I moved here, like we had to learn, you know, to drive, you know, on the opposite side of the road. There was systems that we had to learn, even down to ordering fast food, you know, using numbers to order you up. I can have a number one. Your wife's also British. Yeah. Sorry, English. Yeah. So like when it came to even going down, say downtown. Yeah. Like I would find myself getting anxious because I'm like, where do we park? Because like, what happens if the car gets towed? And if the car gets towed, how much is it going to cost? And how do you even find find it? Yeah. So like having wanting to understand everything before jumping in like is a is a is a constant struggle but then when there's the element of faith and risk moving here was faith and risk so I think there's times when faith and risk and the and and God overrides your kind of number one like I need to understand everything and it's like step out the boat I feel like bigger things I can do that better. It's the small details that I could not because I get too wrapped up in like, like there are things I'll I'll just go do by myself just in case I'm going to mess it up or do it wrong or not figure it out so that nobody, so nobody will see me do it. Wow. Yeah. And it's funny, like I will, the big things of life, like the moving or, you know, those things like I probably don't worry about, but it's the small things. Yeah. It's I mean, the, I the moved tiny to Nashville. I'd never been here. I found my, I came here for school. I found the university I was at online. I applied, got in, had never been to Nashville, showed up the day before school started, which most people will be like, that's crazy. That's but like, crazy. that was fine. And then last winter I decided I was going to go to Iceland over Thanksgiving yes, and I did. planned it 14 days before I left. Yeah. So it's like big things. So what are, what's a little one, like a workout class? Like a workout class or um, 
a great example. Last weekend, I had friend, I had a friend playing downtown, and so we went, and I went 30 minutes early just because I was like, I'm gonna find street parking. I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna be stressed when we go to the movies. I'm always there early yes. because it's like I don't want to have to feel anxious that I'm gonna have to like do something wrong or not figure it out right or get stressed out about it. So I would rather just give myself a longer and run literally run away. Y'all were 15 minutes early. Yeah, on purpose. Yeah. Do you get everywhere early? Yeah. I don't. That yeah. not as a whole, not but everything. But, but yes, you do. But a, everything. But a lot of stuff. Yeah. We um. So we went to Disney a week ago. Yeah. And, it, and we left on the Monday after the draft. So we were expecting like thirty, you sure. know, thirty thousand people yeah. leaving Nashville. Um. So I said to my wife, "Hey, we've got it. We've got a five thirty flight. We need to be there at least three hours before." So we're probably going to need to get up at, at 1.30. Oh. So I got the whole family up at 1.30. My wife was like, I can't believe you're doing this to oh. us. I was like, we've got to be there on time. You know, it's going to be crazy. We got from our house in Bellevue to the gate within an hour. Oh. <laughs> so we had about two, 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 hours two three hours with sitting. a preschooler just yeah. sitting there. My wife was like, that was a bad idea. And I was like... <laughs> I've, I've got to be early. I've got to understand. But I would rather do that than yeah. feel stressed out because I've done that yeah. where I've like a flight's been late and I've had to like apologize my way through the security line and like that will kill me. But being there two hours, I'm like, I'll read a book. I can get, or, I can get stuff done. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's exactly right. I actually, so as a seven in stress, I act like a like the unhealthy parts of a one. And so I totally, that at the airport, you can ask people who travel with me. I'm like, are we there on time? Do we have enough time? Do we have enough? I mean, because I, that anxiety comes up in yeah. me. I think one of the great things about both of you that this is the first podcast people are hearing of the Enneagram series where we're going to go through all the numbers. And I just think it's great that neither of you nor I would really claim to be an Enneagram expert. It's just a conversation you're having and it's just something you're in, you're learning about yourself. So I think your lack of expertise is actually much more the rest of us who are listening are going like, oh yeah, I connect with some of that. When you read stuff about being a one that you don't connect with, what does that make you feel? For me, I don't, I am not a rule follower to follow rules. I am a rule follower that it's logical. Uh-huh. For example, I sneak food into the movie theater. Yes. That's a breaking a rule. And people are like, ones don't do that. But in my mind, it's, well, I really want to bring an acai bowl, which I have next to me currently, yes. into the movie. I did this with Annie two weeks ago. Yeah. They don't sell those at the movies. So I'm not taking any money away from them. In my mind, that's how the logic works. Yeah, this is great. Keep, not, take it all the way to the house. Yeah. Let's go. It, it, that I'm not, I was not going to buy anything that was on their menu. Like, I'm not going to bring popcorn into the movie theater because that's right. rude. That's what they sell. That's their business. Yeah. That's So it's for me, it's like I am not a, a just to a T following rules all the time. It is... I'm very black and white, but it's what's logical and what makes sense. Uh-huh. And so if a, if you can explain to me why a rule makes sense, I'll follow it. But if it doesn't, I kind of am a little rebellious in, as far as like how typical ones read. Is that in you too, Leith? Or do you follow them no matter what? Or do you follow them? Do the, you have your own set of rules that you follow? I think there's the, the major sets of rules I'll follow, but there are certain rules where I'll go, that, oh, that's stupid. And, you know, just, just go with the flow kind of thing. Yeah. But I'm very much like if there's a line, you line up properly. If there's a rule, you follow it. Like if it's clearly mm. displayed, I'm going to follow it. Yeah. And if it affects other people. Yeah. I think when there's there's worlds where I'm like, you're telling me what to, I have a little bit of an authority thing. And so I'm like, you're telling me what to do and it has nothing to do with anyone else. Like, no. Right. But I, I've told people I'm never more in Enneagram One than when I am in traffic. Really? And people are not following the rules of the road. Okay. That's when you see it come out the most. Where yes. you're like, I know how this I'm should like, be. You need to use a blinker. Or <laughs> have you ever driven before? And Nashville's the worst. Like yeah. we do not have a town of people that are um, excellent drivers. Yeah. And so that is that is like when I can feel it bubbling up just on a massive level. Yeah. 
You know, the real fixation for ones is anger. Like that's your negative emotion that, but a lot of times that doesn't, it's not as outward as it is inward. Has that been your experience, Lee? Yeah. I mean, there's times when uh, like for me, I push it down probably more. So it becomes more of a frustration. Why? Because um, you're British or because you're a pastor or because you're, what, because, because of you... that, like, well, they say uh, ones have, res- it's resentment more than, I mean, it's anger in the, but it's, in the arc, yeah. but it's resentment. So it's yeah. that sort of like okay. stuffed it's, anger. Okay. It's, Push down. I'm looking at the Enya app while we're talking. Keep talking. I think it's. I think as well. Like it's important because you know, obviously within my role, I'm mm-hmm. I'm out and about in public, and because of the church being so so big as well. Yeah. Like I never know who is on the other side of the counter or who's driving in front of me, so I have to always, you know, watch out for. Like if I feel angry, I'm like, well, actually, my anger could affect them in a negative way, mm. or my actions could affect them in a, a negative way. So I have to always try and keep a, a check. But for me, when I'm not probably in a healthy place, it's more of a, a kind of a frustration. Yeah. Um, I actually kind of shut down. So if I'm in a negative place, I will literally like put up the walls and then withdraw and go very quiet. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how I, you know, if I'm feeling resentful or if I'm feeling like this is not going right, yeah, I have a tendency to, to back off. And, and every back. Enneagram number kind of has a number that go toward in health and a number that go toward in unhealth. And y'all go toward a four, which is a number that does withdraw, and, but has a lot of feelings. So are mm. nines, which it could be, there's wings in yeah. the Enneagram for those that don't know, which yeah. is either number on either side of you. Yeah. And so you may when more I'm, swing nine than two. And then when I'm, when I'm in a good place, I'm very kind of enthusiastic. I'm, yeah. I'm in, I'm involved. I'm like, yeah, come on, a bit more spontaneous. We'll take more risks. Yeah. But which I, is a seven in health. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of people that I feel like in, I've known in town because, you know, I've lived in Nashville almost 15 years that know me just in a social party events. And I've had multiple people tell me like as the Enneagrams come up, like, oh, you're totally a seven. I'm like, no, you just know me when I have no responsibilities, mm. when I don't feel like I need to, to run anything or fix anything for anyone. And I'm just sort of being and that's when I'm a healthy se- seven type. Yes. Yeah. But I've known we've vacationed together with girlfriends before and you flip into I will get us a dinner reservation. I will get us like it's efficiencies. That's yeah. when I where I'm like, I can see the way I can describe my brain. And I don't know if this is just me or if this is all ones, but how I function best is I can see chaos and turn it into order. Mm. So I think that's why I like, as my job, I think that's why I like it so much is because creatives tend to, you know, kind of spin in chaos and that's yep. like where they they best live. And so I can see all of the pieces of chaos. And if you can just give it to me to organize and make it efficient and like take out the holes that I can see that are wrong, that's when I'm functioning at like my most efficient yeah. brain. And so that's why like in vacation mode, I'm like, fine, don't care where we go. I'm having fun. But then it's like, oh, well, we should do these four things. And I can see, oh, well, if we did this one first and this one second, yeah. that would save us time on the road. That would give us more time for fun. And like, that's when I, and so I'm like, hey, that's guys. your early hey, airport for Disney World. That's yeah. It. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you two opposite end questions. I'm going to ask you the fun one first. So you're going to have to brag a little bit, but it's only because there's a hard one coming after it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So the fun one is tell me what you're most proud of about getting to be a one. Tell me what you really like about how your personality exists. For me, uh, ones are um, advocates for mm. people. So like the Pope, John Paul's a one. They say Hillary Rodden Clinton's a one. Yeah. Joan of Arc is a one. I can tell you some other famous ones. Martha Stewart. Mary Poppins. <laughs> Celine Dion. 
Yes, Mary Poppins. Um, She's not real. I know that. I'm just throwing it out there. there. (laughs) Mr. Spock. Atticus Finch. Atticus Finch, yeah. From um, To Kill a Mockingbird. But a lot of lawyers are ones. A lot of people. Al Gore. For me. Tina Fey. You guys. J.K. Rowling, Harrison Ford. You're keeping great company. (laughs) British. J.K. Rowling. So when I... The like the advocacy part of who I am that like I will see I, I was this way when I was younger in school like I could have been bullied but if I saw someone else being bullied I was gonna get in that person's face and say hey you need to leave that person alone for X Y and Z and like here's what's gonna happen if you don't do mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. that part it has to be tamed well and there's a, a best way to do it which I haven't always done but the the spirit of that is the part I, there's a lot of parts about ones I have a really hard time with but yeah. I've, I've tried to like other ones or the one in you? just the one the yeah. one in general me included yeah. yeah what are you what are you most proud ever like most about being a one I think for me just one of the things I'm probably most proud of is is the move here yeah um, I think we as a family we got to a point where we felt like there was a change coming um, and along how did the, you even find Crosspoint? How did Crosspoint find you? Um, it was through a book. It was through Plan B. Oh wow! So, you uh, just read a book by one, our former pastor. Yeah, I found it in a in a small bookshop in Bolton. Read oh, it, gave it to the pastor of the church, and said, "We need to put this in the hands of everyone in the church." He said, "Okay, let's try and make it happen." I went back to him and said, "Let's do a conference." Um, and then uh, he said, "Okay, you you make it happen, Lee." So you know, worked with the team, got a conference, kept in contact. And then we felt like, you know, um, you know, the time was coming up to change. We didn't know what to do. Um, we were praying, and then we saw a job for the the student pastor role at, at Crosspoint. And uh, my wife said, "You you'll regret not applying for that, wouldn't you?" Mm. And I said, "Yeah." She says, "We'll do it. Let's see what happens." So we then handed our notice at the church. Were you a student pastor there? No, I was just a. I, I did multiple roles from kids to discipleship to. Um, church planning and preaching yeah. and just every kind of a lot of things. Yeah. And then um, we gave up our roles in that church, which was mortgage. You know, obviously we had mortgage payments. Yeah. We had a car. We had a kid. We had all of that. Family at first were like, you're crazy. But we just kept kept believing and then got offered the job. Yeah. Um, Wait, you quit before you got offered the yeah, job? Yeah. Wow. We handed our notice. Both of us. Why? We, we both worked Why'd in the church. Why did you do it before? Because we felt like we didn't want to um, keep taking money from the church when our heart had moved on. We felt like if God had called us to step out, then we wow. needed to be fully free. And, and then, your wife worked for the church as well? Yeah, so it was two two salaries. Um, and then uh, there was a market crash in England as well. So they said, um, you're not going to sell your house. We sold it within 13 days and we thought, Come hey, on. we're going to be on. We're, this is happening. And then there was a year where <gasps> we had to wait for the visa. So we moved from our own house back into my parents. I worked in a grocery store, um, like stocking frozen pizza. And my wife sold um, Christmas trinkets in a, in a shop for a year. And then um, then the visa came. And for so me- So you had had the job at Crosspoint, but you couldn't get here. Because of the visa. Yeah. yeah. So for me in that process, being the courageous and the boldness, but also that, that one gave me the ability to go, this is where God's calling. This is the location. This is where we're going. We're moving forward. Um, so for me, that is probably one of the, the greatest things is that, you know, that courage to, to hold on to what's right and what you believe God's doing and then laser focus in on that yeah. and then move towards it. When you yeah. were stocking pizzas in the same town where you had been a pastor... No, I was stocking pizzas in the same town where I'd grown up as a kid. Oh, <laughs> like Dean on Gilmore Girls. <laughs> so yeah. what did your oneness, what did the inner critic say during all that? Or did you just go like, I know I'm on purpose here and I know I have a job. Oh, we just have to do this. It was, it was the, and it was the night shift. 
Um, uh-huh. So um, I started at seven at night and I worked to seven. I was on my own and I was in the, the deep freeze. So I was bringing <gasps> out all the frozen stuff. And, and I mean, I'd put a box of pizza in my head in the in the fridge and then I'd turn it and fall and hit me on the head and, <sighs> and that. But the whole time there was this voice inside was like, you've messed this up. You know, this is going to affect your family. You know, you know, you're not going to get there. This is not going to happen. And there's this this critic going on, you know, but then deep down there was this sense of, no, I believe God's called us and God's going to do this and God's going to see a way. So, but it was hard, you know, when you, when you step out, as soon as you step out, the critics start and, and it's this voice that's, you know, can make you turn back. But having the courageous side gives you the ability to, to ignore the voices and then to push on. All right, friends, just interrupting this conversation with our Enneagram Ones to tell you about our friends over at Miracle Suit. Summer is here, and this year you should do what I did and treat yourself to a swimsuit that you're really going to love wearing. Go to MiracleSuit.com. They have an amazing selection of beautiful, high-quality control swimsuits designed to flatter all body types. MiracleSuit.com makes it so easy, you guys, for you to find the perfect suit. I really loved getting to shop around on there. First of all, their fit guide kind of takes all the guesswork out of figuring out which suit looks best on you. For example, they'll recommend swimsuits that complement your long torso or give you tummy control or show off your curves, whatever you want. And secondly, you can try them on in the comfort of your own home so you don't have to deal with the dressing room situation. And there's free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. Since we just had a holiday weekend, I have loved already my swimsuits from MiracleSuit.com. I think you are going to love how comfortable they are. They're beautiful. So many different designs. I've just already, I'm like already stoked about the whole summer in the swimsuit department. Now is the perfect time to get your swimsuit from MiracleSuit.com because you guys, our friends, are getting 20% off when you order through my special landing page. So here's how you do that. Go to MiracleSuit.com slash that sounds fun and you'll get 20% off. That's MiracleSuit.com slash that sounds fun. Okay, go get your new swimsuit and let's continue in the conversation with Jamie and Lee. So for both of you, how do you determine, and this, I think this is a question that any, I'd love to ask anyone, Enneagram one, how do you determine between the inner critic and, you know, the voice of the enemy? Like, how do you determine when it's your own brain being itself? And this is just how it's going to be sometimes. And when you're actually being discouraged outwardly. I don't know if there's a difference. Okay. I don't, I think it, I think that might be how the enemy attacks in the gram, any gram wants okay. is that inner critic. Okay. In general, I have learned the more that I will talk about it, it diffuses it really quickly because yeah. I'll say it and people are like, well, that's really silly. Right. Like not in a mean way, but just like, no, you know, right. Right. but the, but as long as I let it fester in my brain, it's always true until someone, you know, cause I'm not going to dispel it. I'm going to hear it. And I'm going to believe that that's whatever that lie is, whatever that critic, whatever that harshness, whatever that is, I'm going to believe that's true. Wow. How, what about you? How do you, do you think there's a separation or is there not? I think, I, I think it comes down to voicing and, and talking it through with people that, that see it from different angles, maybe different Enneagram numbers or mm-hmm. people that are trusted friends. Mm-hmm. It does help because when it's in your head, it continues to spin and it, it gathers weight by, but actually taking it out of your head and actually talking to someone, it stops some of that momentum and, or at least helps to, to, to break it up. 
Um, I think for me, when we was in that process, part of it was just um, the process of waiting. There was a clear, there was moments where it was like, this is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that was, it felt like it was directly opposite to what God was saying. So there was times when, you know, I could clearly say that it felt like an attack of the enemy. Uh-huh. But then there's also, you know, you kind of attack yourself. So Sure. <laughs> You know, so I think talking to people helps. With you, sorry, this is your no, podcast. No, I want y'all to talk to each other. Um, I want y'all to talk. With you and your wife being an Enneagram One, can you guys diffuse that in each other when that's happening? Or is it harder because you both have I, – I, I don't have any other close, super close ones. So that's why I wonder what that dynamic is. I think there's times when, like, I'll have, like, a lack of faith and she'll have the faith hmm. and then vice versa. So um, I think it, it does help. To, it does help us diffuse um, those situations when they arise. Um, you know, that, that's why she said, like, at times you can be so full of faith, like you can, you know, you move halfway across the the world, you you do these big things, but it says, but you get caught up on the small things, and then it's different for her. So for her, the big leaps and the big jumps oh, can be difficult, okay. um, but the small things, she's like, oh, it'd be fine. Yeah. So we kind of it, it helps, and I think just think that's how maybe God brought us together. That even though we're both ones, we kind of balance each other out well, mm-hmm. you know. So God has always been really kind in the big things for me that I have an overwhelming sense of peace that will mm-hmm. drown out whatever is the the minutia that of, that is like trying to stop yeah. me from whatever in the in the details. Yeah, wh- tell me what do you need God to say to you, like on a daily basis? I think for me. Like there's this constant that's almost becoming a bit of a, a a mantra or a bit of a thought process for me. I think it was a podcast or or something you were teaching about, and you talked about journals. Mm-hmm. And I think I wanted to start writing a journal because I think there's something precious about you know when when my times come and I depart Earth to be able to hand over my journals, you know, mm. to my daughter, to my family, and go, hey, read this because this. This shows my journey, my faith, my progression, my, you know, my walk with God. Yeah. The problem was, was as a number one, whenever I got a new journal, I wanted to make sure that the first page was was brilliant and perfect. <laughs> um, so I know you said you've got a ton of journals yeah. that are like half finished or abandoned. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I've got a stack that would literally have one page in. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, here we go, back on Amazon. Um, so I. I found this journal that I liked, uh, you know, and I even bought a pen. I made sure uh-huh. I bought the right pen. Uh-huh. I, and I spent time researching German-crafted fountain pens. To really? Use. Yeah. It, it, weird. No, I know. not weird. Uh, um, but then on the opening line, I wrote this. I put, um, this, this journal is not about perfection. This mm-hmm. journal is about a pursuit. It's about progress. And progress is messy and the pursuit is messy. So this will be full of mistakes and it's okay. Mm. And I think that's the constant thing that I keep on hearing from God is like, hey, you're progressing. You're going from glory to glory, from strength to strength. And you don't have to be perfect. The only perfection that you needed, I'm preaching now, is Jesus. Mm -hmm. So all I do now is my pursuit is not perfection. My pursuit is Jesus. And when I pursue Jesus, progress happens. Um, But it helps me with other people. Like when when I'm working with other, other leaders... I can't expect them to be perfect, but I can expect progression. Yeah. And that's what I constantly say to the team is, hey, we're not called to be perfect, but we're called to progress. Yeah. And that's what I feel God saying to me yeah. is, hey, progress, not perfection. What do you need God to say to you every day? I can get really caught up in the works-based 
just anything. Yes. Like I have to do something in order. Works-based. So I have to do something in order to earn something. So just that, that like you are enough, there's grace, like you don't have to do something in order to get something. Mm -hmm. Tell me something your closest friends or spouse do that makes you feel really loved. So... I get the any a thought of the day. It's an email you can yeah. subscribe to. Yeah. And a lot of the times, I feel like once at least a month, maybe every other month, the the like quote will be, um, what would happen if you didn't fix everything today? Mm. Or you didn't feel the need to. So when I, I feel really taken care of when someone else will, I have a natural personality. My friends will jokingly call me the tour manager because yes, I just will. I do call you that. Yeah, yes. I'll just jump in and take care of things. Right. So when someone else takes care of something for me, Mm-hmm. I don't feel the pressure to have to do that. And I and most of the time, no one's putting pressure on me to fix whatever scenario for everyone. I put that pressure on myself. Right. So someone can step in and kind of circumvent that from ever even becoming an emotion that I have. That's mm-hmm. like huge. Mm-hmm. I think for me, just in the busyness of everything, I think someone just taking in some time just to go, hey, you're doing a good job. Mm. I think for me that that because there's always the questions of, am I good enough? Am I doing a good job? Have I got this right? Where am I making mistakes? Where am I failing? Where do I need to step up? Mm-hmm. But just someone taking time just to go, hey, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Like it, 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 it cuts through everything um, and really helps kind of give you the courage to, to keep running, you know, in the, in, the, in the face of difficult times. Yeah. Can we talk about a difficult time yeah. for you? I'd be interested to hear through this lens a little bit of what it was like to lose your son. Yeah. Um, you make me cry now. Um, I think um, when when we found out, you know, obviously the you know, son, you know, um, obviously was stillborn, um, thirty six weeks. So you know, when he was born, everything was perfect, and everything was fine at thirty five weeks. Yeah, and then yeah. at thirty six weeks, he yeah. was stillborn. Yeah, yeah. and um, when he. When he arrived, obviously, you know, uh, you just looked down at him and, you know, he, he was you know, beautiful and, and, and perfect, but obviously his, his heart had stopped, um, stopped beating. And in the midst of that, I was just like, I don't know, there was all these questions of just like, why and, and, and all of that. And, and God, this, you know, this, this should have been perfect. It should have, why this and why that? And in the midst of the, in the midst of all that, pain and that that brokenness I I had to wrestle with this idea of this world isn't perfect Mm -hmm. and this world is broken and and it was difficult you know because you work in the church you you know you should have you know there's this faith and and all of that and I prayed all the prayers but I didn't get the prayer that that I wanted and in the midst of it, trying to work it out and trying to work out, did we did we do something wrong? Did we not notice something? Did we not see something? Especially for my wife asking, she was asking all those questions and there was no answers. No one could give us answers. And and through through just kind of processing and thinking, like I just came to this realization that this world is broken mm-hmm. and this world is f- full of pain mm-hmm. and this world is full of hurt, but in the midst of brokenness and pain and hurt, you know, God promises to be with us. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get the prayer that I wanted, but I got the presence that I needed. Mm. And just even just those days that we had with him in hospital, you know, um, just there was this overwhelming sense of like, there's a, a song by Elevation Worship. It says, not for a minute was I forsaken. The yeah. Lord is in this place. Yeah. Um, and 
that was the sense that we got that in the midst of brokenness in the midst of pain in the midst of not not perfection the way that it should have been god promises to be with us and was with us you know um but yeah it's still there's still all those questions and there's yeah. still all those, it's only been those, four months yeah 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 so it's um yeah uh, and we're we're in a much better place than we were we we didn't run from grieving we ran to it mm-hmm. um and we you know we sought out counseling and you know and just that's really kind of helped and i don't think you ever lose the pain yeah. the pain becomes part of who you are but then there's that promise in revelation says i shall wipe away every tear yeah. um from your eye and there should be more no more pain and i think that's the promise that when i get to heaven i'll see my son um and that pain will stop but until then there will be pain and there will be hurt but god promises to be with us so when thank you for telling that's okay. us all that that's okay when a one goes through pain like loss kind of pain um Jamie I'm, I'm going to expose your life thinking more of like maybe your childhood or some of the things you've walked through as you've grown up what does it do does it change the inner critic does it change the language around you does it I think something for sevens is bad things happen to us and, and we think they bounce off, but they plant until something explodes. And then we go after the healing. How does that work for y'all? Does it come in and stay in and just build up and then it explodes or what's it look like when pain comes in? I think probably that's, that's true because of the resentment and the, it's like we're in the gut triad. So angers is a really natural emotion, Yeah. but perfectionism sort of tells you that that's not an okay emotion. Yeah. So for me, yeah, it has. And I think in scenarios where I feel like something bad's happening or I can't control, I'll figure out what I can control in my life. Mm. And I think that's for everybody. I'm not saying that's for one. But I'll figure out what I can control and what I can keep efficient, what I can function and what I can. And then, but no matter what, the other things in the periphery are still happening. And so those just keep building and building until the wall's too high. And then... For me, there's been some kind of freak out. Yeah. The healthier you get, the quicker you feel angry, the quicker you release the anger. What's the... That's probably true. The, the, the quicker I can move on and get over it and let it go. Yeah. And let it go. yeah. Or, or process through whatever needs to be done to get there. Some things, it's just me being angry because it's like I'm frustrated and then I yeah. just have to let that go. Honestly, I think having the perspective that I can even just identify the emotion. I was talking to someone recently and... My family's not really into Enneagram, but I feel fairly confident that my dad's probably an eight and my mom's a nine, which means for me, that anger thing was a natural emotion in a household because so so the gut triad is eight, nines, and ones. So if that was sort of just a general, you know, like bubbling that's always happening in a family, I didn't, one, it's funny, people will be like, oh, ones are angry. I'm like, I'm not angry. And they're like, (laughs) yeah, you sometimes are. Um... But I think also some of that was a natural how I how I grew up. And so even just to be able to identify that that's the emotion that's happening can make it go away quicker or process it quicker mm-hmm. or figure out. Because I don't even know that I identified that that's what was happening in my body, in my mind, and all of it. Yeah. And I found other ways. Like one of the best things I've probably done in the last few years is I started restorative yoga. And it is stillness. There is nothing to achieve. There is nothing to gain from it. There's no right or wrong way to do it. It's calms your mind, so there's nothing like rattling through my head. That has really affected my, I mean, like physically I can tell my body feels differently, yeah. but I also think mentally and emotionally that's helped too. 
Lee, have you, is there anything that's happened in your body like that? Has your body responded to grief or is there a way that you can move your body or operate in your body to help yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think when you mentioned, you know, when you mentioned about pain and then I think then control and trying to control situations, I think this is just through me that I noticed that, you know, there was pain, you know, that I experienced going through school and, 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 and a lot of hurt growing up. And then as I then drafted into adulthood and then marriage, I found myself trying to stop my family experiencing pain. But by doing that, I actually became controlling. So to the oh, point wow. where I would say, hey, don't go there. Don't do this. Be careful here. Watch out for this. To the point where my wife said, this has got to change. You've got to work on this because if this continues, like we're going to, this is going to cause a problem. And it, and it was out of a desire to protect someone from pain, you actually start to control. And what you have to do is what I found is I have to do is I have to kind of live open handed. Mm. Like I can't stop life from happening. Um, I can't control life. Life will happen. So I have to live in this posture of God. I, I trust you. Mm -hmm. Like I can't control this. I think one of the ways that now I'm learning to kind of process maybe pain or hurt or anger is, is I, I run or I, I work out. And there are times when I'll go for a run and I'll be processing what's going on in, in my head or processing the, the, the inner critic that I have. You know, there was one time I was out on a run, it was early morning and I was processing, am I good enough for the role? Mm. Am I good enough for the role of, of pastor? And there's this sense of, um, and then there was this moment where, I mean, it was about 5.30 in the morning. The sun was coming up, there was a, a mist on the greenway. It was like, if, 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 if like Spielberg was there with his camera, he'd be like, keep it rolling, keep it rolling. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I just had this moment where I just said, felt God say, hey, you didn't, you didn't apply for the role of campus pastor. Like, mm. like they came to you. That's right. So I, I chose you. Mm. You didn't choose the role. I chose you. Yeah. Um, and in that moment, I'm running. I'm saying, you chose me. You chose mm -hmm. me, you chose me, and I'm saying it, and then, then I'm crying. I start crying as you're running, as I'm running, yeah. and the, but you're I, sweating, so no one knows. Yeah, right, yeah. It's, a great, it's a great time to cry. <laughs> or any person walking past would be like, What's this guy? What's knows? up with this guy? Yeah, um, so for me, like doing something that's active, um, on my own, uh huh, you know, does help. So running has helped to for me to process that stress, you know, that anger, those right. feelings, you right? Know? And then journaling has helped. Yeah, yeah, you know, if you go back and um, look at my journal over the last two months, oh, gosh, um, yeah. it's a lot of a lot of prayers, a lot of God. Where were you? Why weren't you there? Why? Lots of whys. Yeah, and then, but it's an open dialogue with God. I learned that actually I can pray my pain. Ah, okay. like I don't have to polish my prayers anymore. I can go to God and go, Hey, this hurts. And where were you? Yeah, and yeah. And, and God's big enough to be able to handle you know, that, that messy, yeah. those messy prayers. So yeah. Your Enneagram coach on Instagram says that the core longing, the thing y'all need to hear most is you are good. Why does that feel true for you? Cause that doesn't do anything for me. Does that feel true to you that you just need that, that you like your heart needs to hear you're good? Yeah. I feel like with ones, there's a lot of sense of responsibility, different dynamics for different ones. Some feel a sense of responsibility to like 
change political reform. And it's like this big macro. And then some people are very micro in their responsibility. And I'm wondering if it's different for a man versus a woman, but feeling that sense of responsibility all the time, like you're just, you're good as, as you are, like you don't have to do anything in order and you don't have to take and and like the praying through the, the pain thing, you know, like I, I will always feel like, well, I, I have these emotions and I just need to process them. And like, I don't need to give them to anyone else. And, you know, and like being open handed with like, just you're fine. Like being angry is an okay emotion. Being sad is an okay emotion. Whatever it is that I'm feeling, God's big enough to handle yeah. it. And I don't have to be responsible to like figure it out on my own Yeah, and, and just take care of it. Almost like the course in it doesn't have to be you are good. It can be like, you're good. Yeah. You're good. Whatever you're feeling. And or you're, you're just good. good enough. Like you do, yeah. you're good enough as is. Like nothing that you do is going to elevate that. I mean, yes, obviously you can be better at things, but just as a human, like Mm-hmm. That is a standard, and 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 it's not works based. Yeah. What about you? You are good. I think for me, like just hearing that helps. I think, but that comes back to like middle school, high school. There was, I mean, I, I was to say I was bullied. So mm-hmm. what that did was leading it out of that made me feel like a failure. Like I was never good enough. Mm. Um, you know, I was never picked for the team, the first team. I was always the last last pick, you know. You were my first pick. So, oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Y'all were my first pick um, for the show. But I think like that for me, like the the um someone saying, "Hey, you're doing a great job." I think it just it helps speak to the fact that actually in the midst of everything going on that someone recognizes you. Mm-hmm. I think for me one of the greatest things and and I've processed a lot about heaven, which obviously you would yeah. um as well as seeing my son. Um, I think one of the things I want to hear most is, is well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah. I think just to hear, and I know God says that daily over, but to hear when you cross that line, like you were good. Yeah. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And that, you know, that for me. So, but I don't know. I think for me, it gives me a little bit of coal for the fire. You yeah. know what I mean? It keeps you, keeps you going at, like, am I really making a difference? Am I really doing what, what I'm supposed to do? Mm-hmm. So hearing the word, hey, you're good. I remember when my dad said, I'm proud of you. When he, when, when we moved here, there was a huge, like, weight on the family. Like, we're saying goodbye to our kids. And, you know, my dad just said he prayed um, for us, and he just said, I'm proud of you. And for me, that was just, and even now when he texts and says, I'm proud of you, like, it, it, it just lights me up. Yeah. You know. When you move to the new world. ones are um i feel like pretty dutiful and i've uh, generally their their goal is to try and improve to try and fix to try and make better yeah but i think the outwardly view of it is they're just critical and they can be harsh and they can be so when someone like you said can point that out and say i can see what you're doing and what you're doing is like good work and like Mm -hmm. i appreciate that Mm -hmm. i can i can see the spirit of why you're doing it Mm -hmm. can go a really long way even if I mean, hey, yes, that didn't get, let's, correct the, let's correct the behavior. Yes, well, yeah, but that's like, for anybody. Y'all try it something and it doesn't work mm-hmm. for people to go like, man, I saw the intention there mm-hmm. and you, you did great. You can't help that the train went off the tracks. You can't help that, that the person didn't show up that was supposed, you know, but you did really good. That matters a lot. I remember younger, when I was younger, group projects were literally the worst thing that could have ever happened because really? there could be a failure in the group and then that would reflect on all of us. And I couldn't oh. control the, yes. you know, the weakest link in the group, which is such which an awful, never you. which was such an <laughs> awful thing to say. But like that would just give me, there was just a variable that I could not, yeah. not even control, but like I have no clue what's going to happen here. Yeah. 
Lee, what else do you have on your notes you took? <laughs> you came prepared. I did. Well, I, just, I came with notes my first time on the podcast. Too. Did you? It's yeah. <laughs> so great. I had pages. It's, it's, it's fine. new podcast behavior. It's fine. It's so welcome here. I think I've covered a lot of them. I think one of the things that I think is important, like for ones, is our one is a gift. Like sometimes when when someone says you're a perfectionist, it can feel like a curse. Mm. It can feel like, oh gosh, how am I gonna, you know? Because there is a negative connotation to the word, you know, perfection. That's why I like some of the explanations are online are like the reformer. I'm like, yeah, Yeah, Ian Cron said the improver, and I was like, I will receive that as a word. I will take away perfectionist. (laughs) Thank you. I think mine was reformer. I was like, yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, I think the idea of just, and I think it's something that we've we've talked about here, you know, at, at Crosspoint at some point, was this idea of um, number ones. We have like this this critic. We have a, a critical eye, but I think it's important for us not to develop a critical spirit. Mm. You know, this idea of everything. Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. Whereas I think with a critical eye, you can see you can see what needs to change. Um, and then instead of attacking it from the point of view, I've got to make this perfect. Uh-huh. What we do is we say, hey, I'm going to progress this forward. Right. You know, so looking. I'm going to reform it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to change it. Yeah. You know, so one of the things and, and looking back now, I see some of the stuff that God did and, and how God used maybe that, that gift mm-hmm. to make a difference. So. In, in the church that I was working um, for in Bolton, the, the pastor came to me and said, hey, we need to, we need to revitalize our, our kids' ministry. Can you, can you help? And I was like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. So I literally went in and I sat for a couple of weeks and, and, and made notes. Um, and, and I was being critical, but I was using a, a critical eye. Not a critical heart. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, hey, we can make this better. And then over, over a period of, I think it was about a year, we took just to, to revitalize it and renew it and basically progress forward. Yeah. And it was never perfect. That's the illusion. Like we yeah. think we're going to make it perfect, but it never will be. Yeah. But actually there's this journey of, of progress. So I think Sometimes we can feel it's a curse, but actually sometimes, you know, it, it is a blessing if yeah. it's used in, in, the right, in the right way. That's such a healthy, mature thought, I think, for ones that you can bring a critical eye to a situation as a gift. Don't bring a critical spirit. Don't yeah. bring a critical heart. And uh, in how you, how you do it. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I can a critical look. critical tongue. <laughs> well, I can look at a scenario and I can immediately, you can tell me a dream or a plan or a business idea and I could tell you we've done immediately five things wrong with it and the five things wrong is not to tell you what's wrong with your plan it's to say let's find these quickly then we can fix them and it can be even better yes but I have learned working with creatives over the last decade (laughs) that immediately jumping in with okay well build this and then what if we did this and what it can slash their creative spirit so it's figuring out how to do it and how to use it's a gift that we have but how to use it well yeah because it traditionally on the scope of the Enneagram numbers can be looked at as a bit of a harsher curse type. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I distinctly remember, Annie, when you found out I was a one, you said, man, you're the first one I think I've ever liked. <laughs> I mean, this was years and years and years <laughs> yes, ago. Yes, yes, But once in their 20s, when you're friends with one in their 20s, and I'm a seven who brings ideas like that, and they just shoot them all down. I'm like, well, forget all of y'all. Y'all are not fun. You kill every totally. buzz I have. Yeah. <laughs> But as I've grown into in my ownness, and as I'm now I'm around mature ones, I go like, man, y'all are so helpful, and y'all are so good for me. And you, you, what you see, I will never see in a story, and it is such a gift. 
So that is one of my hopes for these shows is that people take away how to love their, if they are not a one, how do I love ones better? And so that is one of my hopes for this. And I feel like y'all have laid that out really, really well. Tell me, both of you, just about you. This doesn't have, you're both unique ones. What do we not know about you or about ones that you're like, I wish people knew about communicating with you, about loving you, about arguing with you? What do you wish people knew about you that we don't know? Like we had just talked about, I I can only speak for me, so I'll say I, I, I can again, see what can be improved, what can be better, what can be more efficient. But that can come across bluntly, Mm -hmm. can be harshly. It's also a pretty direct style of communication. And as a female, I can speak to that that can be um, misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. I feel like I I would be curious um, to hear what the eight has to say about that. I think that's a similar personality trait in the yeah. ones and the eights, probably threes as well. Yeah. Tune in on June 24th for the eights. Great. Tune in on uh, June 11th for the third. No, sorry. June 6th for the threes. So the personality I have as a, a female, uh, I feel like can be sort of put into a box as to like, oh, well, she's harsh. She's mean. Mm. She's cold. She's, and it, and that's not the spirit, but I think it can quickly, I, th- I think you can just stereotype. I think everybody does that about sure. every, everybody, yeah. but specifically ones um and i'd be curious to hear other female ones that you have that are listening if they if they feel that way like i can be i'm warm like you know like i just i think we're pretty misunderstood we can be misunderstood in our very direct sort of like non-emotional yeah very logical sense of um just direct conversation yeah good yeah what do we not know lee i think i think that exactly the same i think you know we can come across as very you know very focused, very driven, um, harsh at times, um, but no, like deep down, there's this very soft heart. Um, I think ones, um, when they're hurt, they put those walls up, and those walls, you know, kind of compound the, you know, the uh, the feeling of harshness and all that. But I think, no, deep down, the most ones have this heart of compassion, yeah. and actually, they have a heart where they they want to make a difference, yeah. um, and they want to help. And they want to they want to help you get the best life, or they want to help you through the situation. Yes. Um, but while doing that, they have this critical voice in their head that's going, "Have I overstepped the mark? Have I understepped the mark? Am I saying the right thing? Am I not?" Mm. So, just know deep down, there's this heart that's saying, "Hey, I want to help. I want to make a difference." And ones are fighting a battle all the time in their head that we don't see. Yeah. Y'all are both going to ask yourselves after this if you did a good job. Yeah. And if this is what I wanted. <laughs> I will tell I you right may now. or may not listen to this. I almost didn't with some of the other ones that we've really? done. Because like with the Hallmark stuff, we're s- so silly and I say such dumb stuff that I'm like, <laughs> let's not listen because who knows what you said and well, what weird stuff is going to be misinterpreted. Let me say to both of you, this is exactly what I wanted. You have done a beautiful job representing your number and you as humans. I love and appreciate both of you so much in my life. And so I am super grateful that I have ones that I love in my life, but you also did exactly what we wanted. This is it. Yay. So, That's great. <laughs> last the, question. You've got the good sticker. That's yeah, great. You got, yeah, you get five gold stars. If you needed six, you've got six. I don't care. We're both in health. I mean, if we weren't in health, it would be a Yeah, little, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if, I'll, if I've accidentally pulled any numbers that are in an unhealthy place. I guess we'll see by the end of June. We'll I said, like, wow, I that said to you unhealthy. and Jenna right before we went on mic that so when ones are in unhealth, they go to four. Uh-huh. So there's fours are, they can be withdrawn and like 
there's a lot of emotion, the unhealthy side of the four, yeah. but the critical sort of biting side of the inner critic of the one. So when those all form together, I call my unhealthy self Daria. Daria. <laughs> if you watched MTV, if you watched MTV in the '90s, Daria yes. was a cartoon, and she was like this sort of like sarcastic, like apathetic. Everything's dumb. Nobody does anything right, and she's like kind of Debbie Downer. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So when I'm an unhealthy person, if you see someone that rep, like looks at all like Daria, maybe check on me. Maybe yeah yeah <laughs> maybe check on a one. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. The last question we always ask. I can't wait. What sounds fun to you? What do ones do for fun? Vacation. Okay. When I'm on vacation, I don't feel a sense. I don't feel responsible. I mean, as long as I can like disconnect from work, my job is a little untraditional like that, but I don't, I I don't feel a need to like plan and be the one in charge. And I just kind of can go with the flow and be free. There's just, I, I need a little bit of parameters. I'm not like a complete, I don't know, let's get on a plane and see where we land kind of thing. Like I'm not that crazy, but, um, that's honestly when I can disconnect that and nature in general. So like hiking has been really beneficial because I'm just sort of out in space and I am, I am just a like calmer, less harsh version of myself. Perfect. Okay. What do you do for fun, Lee? Um, for fun, I'm usually on my own. I'll be, um, I'll be out on my bike or I'll be running or swimming. So I like triathlons. So if you say, hey, what's the what's the thing that you want to do in your life? I, I'd love to do an Ironman at some point. Okay. Um, and I know that sounds really weird. Are you going to be okay if you don't win? I was oh, just yeah. going to ask, how do you feel in triathlons? Like, because it's a placing system. Like, yeah. you get told how well you did I'm against only, anyone else. I'm only competing against myself. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So for me, doing that is basically um, is basically. St- stopping the voices from the past that say you're not good enough you're not athletic mm. so every time i cross that line it's it's me saying goodbye to those voices so the ultimate goal it would be to do um an iron man so okay. um, so yeah but will I'm, you come back on after you've done an iron man and tell us about it well i'm a long way off i've just been to disney I've been, <laughs> i was <laughs> got to like, recover that, off all that dole whip <laughs> that looks good i'll eat that <laughs> giant leg as big as like you know yeah, turkey that. leg yeah. <laughs> I was like oh I'll eat that I'll have that so, uh, so. I'd like to add in on my vacation there will always be a lazy river yes we love a lazy river we do love true. a lazy river thank you guys very much for doing this that's okay I really appreciate it oh friends I mean how sympathetic are you that I did not give the ones the questions before they sat down with me? I'm such a monster. Ugh. But man, I feel like Lee and Jamie were both really honest and really generous to us talking about their pains and their joys and what it is like to be an Enneagram one. For my friends out there that are ones, I just want to thank you for how you give us, you give us such strength and you give us such, there's so much justice in how you live. And And I want to be better at my life and my job because the ones that are in my life encourage me towards that. So thank you, thank you, ones. I just think the world of y'all. Hey, if you have a friend that's an Enneagram One or think they might be an Enneagram One, why don't you share the show with them? Or if you, my friend, are an Enneagram One, your people need to hear this so that they fall more in love with how unique and lovely you are. So make sure you share this with your people. If you need anything else from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, F as in favorite, because today the ones are my favorite. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. And listen, as you're doing your learning around Enneagram this summer, as you are digging into your type and figuring out who you are, the hashtag we are using, Ennea Summer 2019. 
E-N-N-E-A, summer 2019. So join us. Tell us what you're learning, especially if you're one. Use the hashtag and tell us what of this show resonated with you and where you were a little bit different. I would love, love to learn more about ones after you have heard this show. So make sure you tag us. Hey, join us back here on Monday where we have our Enneagram twos coming up. It is such a fascinating conversation between two helpers, Nate and Jen. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So you guys go out and do something that sounds fun to you. I will do the same and we'll see you back here on Monday.